When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Steeler fans, welcome back to another episode of Steeler Stat Geek. This is behind the Steel Curtain editor, Dave Schofield, coming at you again on Thursday morning. Uh, this is where we are now. It is officially the 2022 NFL offseason. Yes, the Steelers have been in offseason mode now for just about a month, but well, just over four weeks, something like that. Uh, I can't even remember. But it's official. Everybody is in that mode. Everything in the NFL is now off-season NFL. It's not, oh, well, for those teams remaining, you got this, that, or the other thing. It is off-season mode all around. There's a lot of things coming up. Man, I don't know about you, but I mentioned this uh, with when I was talking with my brother on the Scobro Show Tuesday night. If you don't listen to that show, check it out. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's Sometimes you get into some nerdy numbers, but mainly it's just you know two brothers having their weekly conversation about football, mainly Steelers football. But of course, you know, we talked Super Bowl and stuff like that. But uh, one of the things I mentioned is that, yeah, as, as you look forward in the NFL offseason, I kind of, I'm the kind of person that I can, I can plan everything out and see that we have certain things in the future that I can get there faster. Uh, if you under, you probably don't understand what I'm saying. Uh, so let me explain it a little bit better. Uh, creating small milestones to get to something that seems very far away. Now, sometimes that can be discouraging. Uh, for example, when I would say to my wife during summer vacation uh, that I could tell her everything that we were doing every weekend until September. That was depressing to her, that we could actually count down all those things and then summer would be over. But there's other times where it works out really well for me. For example, if I get to Labor Day, I'm almost to Christmas. Seriously, if I get to Labor Day, I'm almost to Christmas because there's something later in September that I look forward to. Then there's something in the middle of October that's a... Um, where I get together with family that we look forward to. Then there's Halloween at the end of October. Then there's next thing you know, it's Thanksgiving. And then next thing you know, it's Christmas. You can just set those small goals. And I mean, my goodness, school starts back up and I'm like, it's almost time for Christmas. Look, see, it's just going to be here before you know it. Now that's also can be depressing because that kind of wishes away the Steelers season. Cause I can go from before they even play their first game and count down to Christmas, which is where, you know, the, the Steelers only had three regular season games after Christmas, one of which was the day after. So, but that's just kind of what I do. 
you can do that with the Steelers and the NFL season. And the worst spot is six weeks in summer. Uh, talked about this with my brother, but but the Super Bowl. Okay, Super Bowl. What's nice now is it's a week later. I'm okay with that. One one less week of the off season. Uh, I can handle that. So you go. You got Super Bowl. In two weeks, it's the NFL Combine. Now, I'm not a big Combine guy, but because it's there and it's a milestone, I'm going to pay attention to it. Okay, so then you get so you get the Combine that starts March 1st. Then after that, you've got the start of the league year. You've got the two days before with where you have the, the start of free agency, which is the legal tampering period, as they call it, um, which I think is kind of funny the way it's like it's like it's legalized cheating is what it is okay so uh, um but but it is what it is that that's two weeks later so then you're you're halfway through march then you're like oh you got a little bit but the next thing you know a month later teams are starting their off-season workouts you can get some news and stuff in there but and not only that the beginning of the, of, of the league year that drags on for a good week and a half with with stuff going on then Wow. Before you know it, you're on to the NFL draft at the very end of April. You're like, whoa, draft already? Yeah, I can get us to the draft. Then it's not even long after the draft. Only a couple weeks after the draft, you've got rookie minicamp. And then a couple weeks, not even two weeks after that, you've got OTAs. Then after that, that's the six weeks of dead time. And that's the time that you don't want to hear anything about the Steelers. And then it's training camp. And then from training camp, you're leading into the preseason. Each game, there you go. Boom, you're back to the regular season. There, I just got you there. Middle of February, I just got you to the middle of September. Um, little by little, to look forward to this NFL season. So that was a little fun exercise. Maybe I should get on with the show. But before I do, I do want to remind you that this is just one of many podcasts here behind the steel curtain. Um, we are... We are just a subgroup of the the bigger behindthestillcurtain.com website. If you've never checked it out, oh my goodness, you're missing a lot of stuff. Lots of great articles, but lots of great discussion in the comments of the articles. It's a community. So uh, if you haven't checked it out, you're, you are really missing something. And then, of course, we have all our podcasts. We've got, we've got seven shows that go live on YouTube and Facebook Live. Each week, uh, we have a Sunday show starting up. I'm pretty sure it's this Sunday. If not, it'll be the following Sunday that's going to take over because we don't have any post-game show anymore. But you get those shows. Then you've got the morning shows with Jeff Jeff's Let's Ride on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, the live mic on Tuesday. And then, of course, you're listening to Stat Geek right now. And we have our noon lineup of shows with all, all kinds of good stuff there. If you did not check out... Uh, Jeffrey Benedict's from the cutting room floor. I've honestly, I, at the time I'm recording this, I am only most of the way through it. I still got to finish up the last few minutes, but man, oh man, I thought I was listening to another stat geek. So if you like this, you might like that one because uh, he really dove into some, some numbers with some things um, and it was some really good stuff. So make sure you check that out. And of course, all the other uh, noon, noon podcasts that we have. So We've still got the content coming at you. Let's dive into this. I've got two questions that we're tackling today. These are actually, believe it or not, the two questions that I would have done two weeks ago, but I had to I had to step away uh, do, um, due to the death of my father-in-law. Um, once again, thank you all that, that reached out about that. So let's dive into this. The first one, I've got to make sure that I that I read the right one in the right order because I have all my information on one first. So here we go. This is from Joe Cirillo with who is at underscore Joe Cirillo. Uh, I answered a question of his in, in January 
And he said, at Steeler Superfan Dad, that's me. Thanks for answering my question. Here's another. How did the offensive line coach affect line play in the last 20 years? I don't know if we will ever get back to the level it was in the Munchak era, but is that only because of players or did he make a difference? That's a good question, and it's also pretty difficult to answer, but I'm going to give you as much data as I can. Thank you, Joe. Now, it should be noted that Joe asked this question uh, two weeks, more than two weeks ago, and since then, the Steelers have hired an offensive line coach, um, Pat Meyer. Is was announced this week uh, for the Steelers that he's the new offensive line coach. They have not announced an assistant offensive line coach yet, but uh, we'll see how things go with him. But the big question is, is it coach? Is it players? Is it both? How does it really pan out? But I, I've got some interesting numbers here for you. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back to 2001 because that's that was a year that the Steelers had a new offensive line coach um, to go back. And plus, he said 20 years. So that works all right. Um, that that actually puts us back 21 years. But we, we didn't want to jump into the middle of when someone was here. So from uh, from 2001 to 2006, that was Russ Grimm. And in six seasons, the Steelers made the playoffs four times. They went seven and three. They won a Super Bowl in there. Russ Grimm was in the running. He was the other finalist with Mike Tomlin to be the head coach of the Steelers. After um, Bill Cowher left, there was reports that he was offered the job. Here he wasn't. And next thing you know, it's Mike Tomlin. So he moved on from there. He coached the offensive line for Arizona. He went with Ken Wisenhunt and uh, hasn't really been heard from much since. So that was where he was. I'm going to have some numbers with some of these guys, but I've, I'll tell you, 2001 to 2006, that's tough to find numbers. And so let me just give you the rundown of who the coaches were, and then, and then we'll dive into some of these quote-unquote rankings that we'll have to talk about. Okay, the next offensive line coach was uh, Larry Zerline. He was from 2007 to 2009. So that was three season. They made the playoffs twice. They went three and one in the postseason. He won a, he, the, they won a Super Bowl in there. But uh, Coach Zerline was let go after the 2009 season, and he was involved in a little bit of a scandal in 2007 that had to do with uh, – with an um, an email that was an inappropriate email that was forwarded to people it shouldn't have been, including Roger Goodell. Um, yeah, you can go look that up if you want to. It's kind of funny, but I'm not going there. All right, um, but he was he was relieved of his duties, was out of coaching for a year, and then I think was in the college ranks. I'm not sure. Um, then you had Sean Kugler. I know I'm going to say his name wrong. I'm going to say I'm going to keep saying his name in reverse, but. I'll do my best to get it right. He was the offensive line coach from 2010 to 2012. So three seasons, they made the playoffs twice. They were two and two in the postseason, and they went to the Super Bowl but did not win. And we'll see some interesting stuff about Coach Kugler and the rankings when he was here. But he left the Steelers as the offensive line coach to be the head coach at UTEP um, at, at college. So interesting. Then for one season in 2013, we had – Jack Bicknell, I think I'm saying that right, junior. I got to make sure that's right because his father was also a coach. Um, one season, 2013, didn't make the playoffs. The story with him was he basically got relieved of his duties partway through the season. And the offensive line assistant, Sean Surrett, basically took over running things and then because the, the Steelers wouldn't fire him midseason. So they fired him at the end of the season. That was the reports, whether or not they were true. I can't say for sure. Uh, 
All right. Um, then after that, it was not Sorette that was promoted. It was Mike Munchak was brought in. Five seasons with the Steelers. They made the playoffs in four of those years. They went three and four in the postseason. Uh, never reached the Super Bowl. So what was interesting is Coach Munchak had one of the, the Steelers overall regular season had one of the best regular season records under when Mike Munchak was the offensive line coach, but it did not equate to playoff success because they were three and four there. Um, but like I said, how much, I mean, how much are you laying that on the offensive line coach? Some people think it's a big deal. Some people don't. Uh, then you had Sean Surrett was promoted for two years, 2019, 2020, two seasons, made the playoffs once they went 0 and 1. Then last year in 2021, it was Adrian Clem. Oh, and Sean Surrett was was his contract was not renewed. Adrian Clem, um, 2021, one season, they made the playoffs, but he was already gone by that time because he had already um, left to go be the offensive line coach of the Oregon Ducks. Um, so that's the line coaches since 2001. Now, how good were the Steelers' lines during that time? Unfortunately, there's not really great numerical data. The best thing I can go with is some offensive line rankings. And some of these are, are sub, you know, hidden behind a paywall um, from various sources, meaning you have to have a subscription to something to find out what the final rankings were. So I will tell you that from 2009 to 2021, I have the, the overall offensive line PFF rankings, pro football focus. Now, so as some of you may know, I do not like pro football focus for their stats. Their stats, they don't go off the official NFL stats. They come up with their own stats. And as Jeffrey Benedict said, um, PFF is the only place where a quarterback can get six can get sacked six times, and yet a team can have eight sacks against him in that game, um, the way they do things. Because they set up their statistics to match the formulas that they use to make their grades, not the other way around. So that's why they have to kind of almost fudge their own statistics and determine them themselves because they can't take the official statistics and have them work. So when, you know, some people are like, oh, it's great. They look at film and break these down. You know what? No, the, they, they're not caring about the stats. They're breaking down the film to try to do these grades that they do. So therefore, I don't like their stats because they're, I mean, the only place they're verified is by other PFF staffers. Who cares? You know, where the NFL, their stats, you know, the home team keeps the stats, the visiting team keeps stats as well. If there's a discrepancy, the visiting team brings it up and then it's decided by the Elias Sports Bureau. So, I mean, that's a threefold checking system all paid by different people. So that's what it is when it comes to stats. Now, when it comes to rankings, I still don't know with PFF. Sometimes they're not bad and sometimes they are. Uh, I've always said that the closer you are to the to the line of scrimmage, the easier it is to judge. It's easier to see if an offensive lineman, you know, made his block or not. It's not as easy to see if a safety got burnt on a play or if he was trying to cover where somebody else screwed up their coverage. They, they have no way of knowing that. They are guessing. Um, and it's a little bit easier to tell when you're firing off the line of scrimmage closer. I mean, they're, they're still not going to get it right, but it's numbers. It's the best numbers we have when it comes to, uh, the offensive line. So now I did get two years from 2007 and 2008. So that way I could do coach Zerline in there. I had to use pro football outsiders. They're the ones I would use their stuff the whole time, but I, I, their rankings, but I, I can't get them all. 
um, because I don't have a subscription. I just I just can't get them. So I did use them for two other years that I could find, and before that, I was not able to find before two thousand seven. So I just I did my best. But let's go ahead and look at this. If you want to look under Coach Zerline from two thousand seven to two thousand nine, the Steelers were ranked nineteenth, twenty fifth, and twenty fourth. Now remember, the nineteenth and the twenty fifth was from from um, Football Outsiders. And tw- and and the the twenty fourth two thousand nine was from PFF, so that was Coach Zerline. Then you had Sean Kugler, who comes in. The Steelers were thirty second, twenty fifth, and twenty fifth. Those were the three seasons they had there. Now I will say the Coach Kugler. I'm pretty. I mean, it was announced before the end of the season in two thousand twelve uh, that he was the head coach at UTEP. I'm pretty sure he probably left then. Um, but I couldn't tell you for sure. Then under uh, Coach um, Bicknell, Bicknell, I'm not even sure which way to say it, um, that the Steelers were ranked, they they jumped up to 15th. And you're like, wow, that, that's a big deal. That was the first year that the Steelers had, well, not quite, but you know when they were getting to the point of where they would be getting Pouncey into Castro. That really started to come in in 2014. Okay, so 2000. 13, they were they were 15th. Then under Mon- Mike Munchak for those five seasons, they went 8, 10, 3, 12, and 1. Those were the rankings for the five years under Mike Munchak. And that's what everyone will remember. 8, 10, 3, 12, and 1. So 2017 was the worst when they were ranked 12th. Then in 2019, under um, Surrett's first year, they were ranked 9th. 2020, they were ranked 17th. And then this past year, under Adrian Clem, they were ranked 26th in, in the NFL, according to PFF. So, no, not dead last, but they were 26th overall um, when, it come, when it came to you know pass blocking, run blocking, combined all together, and how they ranked them out. So that's the ranking. So it did show you that definitely that there was a big jump in there for Coach Munchak. Now let's go back and look at something else. I decided to say, okay, well – out of all those, how how were the Steelers forming up their offensive line? Where did they come from? And I'm like, these are five guys that you're talking about across the line. So it can make a big difference with a couple of things. So I decided to say, you know what? How many first-round draft picks did they have on the offensive line during these years? How many first-round draft picks? Okay, you ready? Let's go through this. In 2007, when the Steelers were 19th, they had two first-round draft picks. All right. For some of you, you might not be able to remember that nearly as well, but that was, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think that was, I've, I've got it right here. Anyway, where the two starters that were first round draft picks were one pro bowl, not pro bowl hall of fame guard, Alan Fanica. That was his last year uh, with the Steelers. And they also had a first-round draft pick in 2002 playing at guard in Kendall Simmons. Okay? That's the, that was the Steelers' starting offensive line. The, those were the guys that, that started. They had two first-round draft picks there. They were ranked 19th. 2008, Steelers went and won the Super Bowl. Whole different story. Whole different story. The highest-drafted player in 2008 and 2009 was a third round draft pick third round draft pick they did not have a first or second round draft pick 
among the bunch. I mean, my goodness, in 2008, the Steelers started uh, a, a rookie at right guard. Not just a rookie, but an undrafted rookie in Darnell Stapleton. Okay, so that's, I mean, that he started the majority of the games at right guard. And they were ranked 25th. And in 2009, they were ranked 24th. Once again, they didn't have a first round or second round draft pick on that line. Then comes 2010 and in comes Marquise Pouncey. Now he's a rookie. He's a rookie. But the Steelers were ranked dead last in the NFL and offensive line. I mean, that was Marquise Pouncey as a rookie trying to come in and, and help out the Steelers the best that they could. So, um, and I'm just to name you some of those others. Sorry, I'm sitting there trying to find them again. Some of the other, other starters on that line was Jonathan Scott, Chris Kimiatu, Ramon Foster, and Flozell Adams. That was the the, the starters um, on on that line. And remember, Ramon Foster, he was young. He hadn't been around that long, you know, back at back in 2010. So then you move on to 2011. They're starting to get better. They still got one first round draft pick on the line. And then 2012, same deal, 25th, one first-round draft pick on the line. Then, then you get to 2013, and that's, like I say, that's the year that, that they had um, Jack Bicknell or Bicknell or whatever, however you want to say that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep butchering names. It's what I do. Um, I, there, that was when you ushered in the, the David DeCastro era. The problem was they did not have – Ramon, Ramon Foster, sorry. They did not have Marquise Pouncey that season. That is the season that he got injured um, on the first drive of the season. So they had David DeCastro as a first rounder. They had Marcus Gilbert as a second rounder. Okay, and they brought in Fernando Velasco, who actually filled in quite admirably. And that's why they jumped up to 15th that year. That's when you started to get some guys in there that were that were higher draft stock 2014 when they went up to eight Munchak's first year Munchak might've seen something good and said, you know, this is the time to get in here. How about two first round draft picks of Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro along with the second round draft pick of Marcus Gilbert. That's some serious draft capital. Now you had the undrafted Ramon Foster and you had the seventh round Calvin Beecham, but that was good. I mean, you you had you had the draft stock and you had the two diamonds in the rough that you found. That makes for a great starting offensive line that was ranked eighth. Now you can't just take some some third round and later draft picks and plug them in everywhere and hope all of them show up that way. The fact that the Steelers had two of them to supplement with the other guys that were high draft picks was really really impressive. So then in 2015 they went from eighth down to tenth. That was but that that was. Part of the reason is you only had one first-round draft pick there because that was the season that Marquise Pouncey got out, got knocked out for the year in the preseason. So you had Cody Wallace instead. So, uh, but you had, you know, DeCastro, Marcus Gilbert, and Foster, and then that's when partway through the season, that's when Kelvin Beecham, Beecham got hurt, and that's when Alejandro Villanueva took over. So once again, you had two, two. Two diamonds in the rough there with Ramon Foster and Alejandro Villanueva that they were able to find. And then just bringing in Cody Wallace, who was to be the backup, and then got forced into starting. They still held it together pretty good under Munch there. 
Then you go to the next year. That's when they really start to get going in 2016. You've got you've got Villanueva and Foster holding down their thing. Then you've got the two first rounders and Pouncey and DeCastro, and then Marcus Gilbert, the second rounder. So they once again two firsts and a second to 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 anchor that line. That's what you got in 2016. That's also what you got. Um, mostly in 2017, except you had uh, injury, you know, too much injury going on with Marcus Gilbert. You lost your second round guy. So you had Chris Hubbard starting the most games there. So that they took a little bit of a, a bounce back. But they had the two first rounders, but they didn't have the second rounder. All right. So then you keep, then you just keep going on to 2018 when they were ranked number one. That's right. Number one. They were back to their two first round picks, and the rest were the were were guys that they happened to find. They found three guys in Foster, who was now you know the Wiley veteran, Villanueva, who was a literal veteran, and Matt Filer, who came in at right tackle and and played great for the Steelers. And it's it's funny because as great as people are like, oh, Matt Filer was so good at guard for the for the Chargers. Why wasn't he as good there for the Steelers? He still wasn't, according to PFF, did still not have a, have as good of a grade as he he had when he played right tackle for the Steelers. That surprised me. I thought he would do better at guard for the Steelers. Um, and uh, I, I'll, I admit right there, I was wrong. So, okay. So that was 2019. I know we're taking a little bit of time to go through this, but in 2020, that's when the Steelers line started to slip. And you're like, oh, was it because of Surrett or what was it? Well, what did you have? You had an aging Marquise Pouncey playing his last year in the NFL, you had an aging David DeCastro, who we found out later was dealing with injury with bone spurs that were just nagging him all season playing in what, unless he tries to come back next year, what was ultimately his last year in the NFL. And then the, then the other three guys, this was your first round guys were at the end of their careers and you had the other guys filling in and it really started to take a tumble. Then last but not least this past season, do you know who the highest drafted player is on the Steelers starting offensive line in 2021? That would be third round draft pick Kendrick Green. He was drafted the highest out of, out of all the players that the Steelers had starting on the offensive line. Um, I know Trey Turner was a third round draft pick, um, but I don't think he was drafted quite as high as Green. I think he was a spot or two lower. I could be wrong there. He might, if not, Green was the highest one drafted by the Steelers. So in other words, Right now you could say, oh, well, the coach and everything, they have to invest the draft capital into the position. So we went really far over on the first half. Um, it's not the first half. It's the first three quarters. But we're going to go ahead and take our break here real quick, come back, answer another question, um, and, and roll on. So see you in just a moment. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome back to Steelers Stat Geek. Hey, we just rolled through some numbers. It's funny because I was on a different screen. I come back and I'm like, wow, we're over 20 minutes into this. That's all right. That was some interesting stuff we were talking about. And uh, and I, I did also step you through all the way to have your little goals to get to next season. So that took a little bit of time. But just to sum that up one more one more time, bottom line is, does the does the offensive line coach matter? Probably. Does the players that they have matter? Probably. Is it really needing to be a factor of both? I would say absolutely. I mean, I mean, you're only going to get so much out of players, you know. And, and here's the thing: you could even have a first round draft pick as an offensive lineman that does not work out. But when you also have someone who is there and starting, to me. Someone like a Ramon Foster, when he's into his seventh season as a starter, it didn't matter what round draft pick he was. He's been able to hold down a starting position for that long is, is the other thing. The Steelers, they were inexperienced, they were young, and they weren't high draft capital players this past year. That was a recipe for disaster. It really was and the Steelers need to address the issue. And does it mean they have to spend their highest draft capital on offensive line? No, but I wouldn't complain one bit. Do they need to then use free agency to get some some good quality players with the experience? Absolutely. They've got they they've got to do one or the other, and preferably both. Let's get to the other question for this one. Um, this one probably won't take nearly as long. You're like, thank goodness. Well, could keep talking about all those numbers. Now, this is from SleepyT22, who at for Twitter is at SleepyT22. And they asked, how much are, are RB2s actually expected to contribute on an offense? Is Snell living up to the standard? And should we move on and bring someone else in? All right. So let's look at the RB2 here real quick. And you're like, not all uh, not all second running backs are created equal. Now, if, if you have the bell cow, that doesn't mean that you're going to, to, to be using a second running back. There are teams that do running back by committee. That's not the Steelers. That's not the Steelers. So to try to get a better idea, rather than look at the teams that had that that led the league in rushing last year, and I'm only going to look at last year's numbers and just throw some stuff out there. I decided to look at the teams that had there are seven teams out there that had a thousand yard rusher last year. Let's look at those seven teams, and then let's also see how their second best rusher what they contributed, and then compare that to what the Steelers got out of their rushers. So, let, so let's dive right in. Uh, the rushing leader last year uh, was from the Indianapolis Colts. That would be one Jonathan Taylor. He appeared in 17 games. He rushed for 1,811 yards on 332 carries for a 5.45 average. And his, and the second leading rusher on the Colts was, I'm not going to mess up the first name, so I'm just going to say the last name. Uh, that was Hines. It's it's. The Keen Heinz. It's Heinz. It's Heinz. There we go. We'll just say that. Um, he he had 276 yards on 56 carries and averaged 4.93 yards per carry. So you gotta you gotta fall off about a half a yard from number one to number two um, when you talk about yards per carry. Okay, that's that's that. And 276 yards. That's respectable. But that was on 56 carries. Next, second leading rusher was Nick Chubb. Um, 1,259 yards and 228 carries, 5.52 yards per per carry, but he only appeared in 14 games. So 
right there, that should tell you that the that the number two running back is going to have more yards and more carries because there were games that the that the starter wasn't there. And the number two guy was career. No, it wasn't. It was Johnson. Um, it was 534 yards on 100 carries. That was 5.34 yards per carry. Not, you know, the drop off wasn't even 0.2 yards per carry from those two. And, you know, he got 500 yards from the next guy. Then next was Joe Mixon for, for the Bengals. Um, he appeared in 16 games, 1,205 yards on 292 carries, 4.13 yards per carry. And the second leading rusher on the Bengals was um, Pierre Ein. Is that if I said that right? I should know. He got he had, ended up getting the ball in a big spot in the Super Bowl and didn't make the conversion. But he had 246 yards on 55 carries, which was a 4.47 yards per carry, which was more than Mixon. It was just because he was their, their switch him up guy. Then the next was Najee Harris. We're going to come back to that. But I do want to say that out of the out of the top four rushers in the NFL this season, three of them were from the AFC North. Just remember that. And it wasn't the Ravens. <laughs> Gotta love that. But we'll we'll come back to Pittsburgh with that. But Najee Harris was fourth. Then you had that, then we finally go to the NFC, where you have Minnesota that had Dalvin Cook, 1,159 yards on 249 carries. That's a 4.65. Uh, yards per carry, but he only appeared in 13 games. So you had Madison that got plenty of carries, plenty of yards, 491 on 134 carries. That was 3.66. He averaged 0.99 yards less than Cook. 0.99. Okay. The next was Gibson from Washington had 1,037 yards on 258 carries, 4.02 yards per carry. Um, appeared in 16 games. Um, the number two rusher for Washington was actually um, Heineke, the quarterback. But we're not going to look at him. I went to the next running back. That was Patterson. He had 266 yards on 68 carries. That was a 3.91 average. That was um, a drop off of 0.11. Not a big deal. And then here's one more, and this is going to be another one to look at, and I'll explain why. Uh, for Dallas, Ezekiel Elliott. Appeared in all 17 games, 1,002 yards on 237 carries, 4.23. And his backup, or the number, sorry, not his backup, but the number two running back there was Pollard, who was actually not that far behind in yardage, um, 719 yards on 130 carries, 5.53 yards per carry. Um, that's crazy. So they were, even though they had a 1,000-yard rusher, they appeared to be more of a running back by committee um, because – I mean, combined, you know, uh, Elliott only had 107 more more carries, which if you want to look at uh, the Steelers, Harris had 271 more carries than the next guy. That's right, and that was Benny Snell, but let's look at it. Najee Harris had exactly 1,200 yards, played all 17 games on 307 carries, 3.91 yard, yards per carry average. Next was Benny Snell had 98 yards on 36 carries, not even 100 yards, um, and 2.72 average. So that means the average fell off 1.19. That was definitely the biggest fall off in yards per carry from from the top to the next guy when you looked at guys that rushed over 1,000 yards. But you also got to look at it this way. He was given the rock 37, sorry, 36 times. The, the, the next 
fewest was 55 by um in Cincinnati by 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 Perrine or Perrine however you say it. Um but he had 246 yards. And 246 yards was the next lowest yardage total versus Snell having 98. So I will tell you this. Because you say there's more of that, I'm not looking at the actual yards per carry because a lot of that could do with the offensive line. But that was a big drop-off. That was a big drop-off. So to say, oh, do you need another running back to really help with that? I would not be opposed to it. Do I think the Steelers absolutely have to? I don't think they have to. But if, if it's something that they want to upgrade, that is not a terrible idea. If you're trying to do something to have someone who's more of a change of pace or actually be able to take some of the carries away from Najee Harris, but not lose out on, on what Najee Harris brings to the team. So to me, I would say out of all those, out of those top seven running backs in the NFL, the biggest drop off to the second runner it would have to be the Steelers in looking at that, looking at those numbers. There's no other way to say it, that the Steelers had the biggest drop-off from their number one running back to their number two running back when looking at teams that had a rusher that went over 1,000 yards. Um, that's that's what the numbers tell us. That's what the numbers tell us. And that even includes Washington, who had to go to their third leading rusher because they had a running back in there. Or not, I'm sorry, because they had a quarterback in there that actually rushed for the second most yards. Crazy, crazy. and uh, And that is kind of... You know, with the Steelers, that's that's a little bit discouraging because, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, Betty Snell rushing for 98 yards as the second leading rusher on the Steelers. What's sad is number number three who almost caught him, almost had as many yards as, as Benny Snell. Who Who was it? Two yards behind him? It was Chase Claypool. It was a wide receiver that the Steelers got almost as many yards from handing off to a wide receiver as they did handing off to their second running back because they just didn't do it very often. You know, I mean, after it goes Harris, here's the order for the Steelers when it comes to rushing yards. Harris, Snell, Claypool, Johnson, who was tied with Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph in one start and coming in, was it what, one series in, in the Kansas City game in the regular season, had was tied for the fourth most rushing yards on the Steelers. Tied for the fourth most rushing yards on the Steelers. Yeah. So that does tell you something. It needs to be better. I don't know if it needs to be a replacement or if it just needs to be better. And that goes right back to the opening question. It goes to the offensive line. So we spent a lot of time on offense here today. Make sure that if you have a question, please, 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 I'm looking for them. I'm looking for my nerds to steal to, to fire them in there. Uh, I know I've got another question still waiting in the wings for next week, but I only got one, so I need more. So you could um, hit me up on Twitter. It, at, it's at STLR Superfan Dad, or you could send me an email, which is at STLR Superfan, not at, what am I saying? It's STLR Superfan Dad at gmail.com. So that's the way you can do that. Um, these were some fun numbers. Um, hopefully, we have some other fun numbers to talk about next week. Um, as I always say, thanks for listening, and most importantly, thanks for keeping out. With me.